0: This is the Data Science Conversations podcast with Damien Dehan and Dr. Philip Diesinger, featuring cutting-edge AI and data science research from the world's leading academic minds, so you can expand your knowledge and grow your career. This show is sponsored by Data Science Talent. Welcome to the Data Science Conversations podcast. My name is Damien Dehan and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Philip Diesinger. Normally we feature data science and AI researchers from academia on the show but we did promise you that occasionally we would tear up the script and do something a little bit different. Today is one of those days and we're about to find out what it's like to compete against probably the most powerful AI in the world, Google DeepMind. It's a very compelling story with many insights into what the future holds for AI and human interactions. And our guests on today's show are two world class esports performers, Dario Vinch and Gregor Hominich. Dario is better known in the gaming world as TLO and Greg as Mana. They are currently members of the iconic multi regional professional esports organization Team Liquid. Mana started playing video games when he was just five years old in his native country, Poland. He was a notable player of the original StarCraft game Brood War and he made it into the TSL 2 tournament in 2009 in 2010 he joined the mouse sports team where he transitioned over to Starcraft 2 and after leaving mouse sports at the end of 2013 he joined Team Liquid where he still plays professionally today. TLO is originally from Germany and is also a former Brood War player he is equally at home playing Terran and Zerg although he recently went back to playing Zerg where he plans to stay He is known for his happy and carefree demeanor, as well as his unique methods and strategic flexibility, which makes him very hard to beat. He is a favorite of StarCraft II fans worldwide, so much so that there is even a fan club for his beard. Uh, On the Team Liquid online forum, one particular beard fan even went so far as to say, TLO does not have a beard, the beard has a TLO. The guys have competed in over 400 tournaments uh, and there are very few eSports players who have been professional gamers for the 15 years that they have. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome a legendary pair of eSports veterans to the show. Guys, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Pleasure to be here.
2: It's our privilege to have you. Dario, can you explain what eSports is?
3: So esports basically just sense for electronic sports and it's essentially just any competitive gaming that's you know happens in an organized way so just as we have traditional sports having tournaments gaming nowadays has tournaments as well and that would all fall under the umbrella of esports and just as sports has many different disciplines esports has many different games that fall under that umbrella but there's a difference between just gaming you know, if you're just playing Mario Kart, if you're just playing games like that at home, that is not eSports, that's just gaming, while eSports is where the professional competitions happen, or the amateur competitions.
2: And you are both professional players who make a living with eSports.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, basically, Mana and I, I, I would say for both of us, it's about 10 years that we are doing this as a full-time profession that we can live from. And it's been a profession that's been growing increasingly when we started it was basically just a handful of people and maybe in south korea maybe a few people in europe and america that could do it but nowadays it's there's thousands of people that make their living uh full-time playing video games
2: craig can you help us understand what the life of an esports athlete looks like
1: so an esports athlete would be a person who plays competitively in esports uh just like in the regular sports there are different kinds of uh genres like basketball baseball and so on in esports we have different kinds of games different kind of genres like uh, real-time strategy shooters or uh, just the sports games like fifa uh, so yeah an esports athlete will be someone who competes uh, competitively
2: so what does a typical day in your guys life look like
3: well just like with traditional sports once more everybody has very different routines but at the core of it it is practicing the game. So it can range from anywhere. Some people just practice three hours a day. Some people are extremely hardcore and practice 10 hours a day, which doesn't necessarily mean the person that practices 10 hours is better, but everybody has different approaches. Some people just focus only on practicing the game. Other people have a more holistic approach where they dedicate a lot of hours a day on physical activity and meditation and replay analysis and stuff like this. So we have really, because eSport is so new and not yet super established when it comes to training methods. We have anything from the person that chess focuses purely on, on the game itself to somebody that has a training schedule that looks more similar to what a professional athlete looks like. And I think we've seen similar developments in eSports as in chess, where in the past chess was also a game where people basically only focused on playing the game and reviewing the game. And nowadays we have people that have a training regime that maybe looks more similar to professional athletes as well, because people realize that can enhance performance as well. But it's still in flux. A lot of things are still changing in sports.
1: Yeah, the more you play the game, like the more experience you have. Uh, for us, it can be just a couple of hours of practice the game, just play against other opponents uh, all the time. Uh, for for just a couple of hours but uh, with the experience that we have we can only play for let's say three hours and then the next two hours would be just analyzing the replays analyzing the potential opponents in tournaments it would be just watching the games and just basically thinking about what you can do what your opponent can do and and what you can do to counter that and so on
2: so i hear a little bit from both of you that, that physical and mental fitness plays an important role too
1: Absolutely, uh, I think especially mental, uh, because we are not as physical as in traditional sports. But I think that it's a it's a huge factor in esports to be simply focused, uh, because being focused means that you can do things on time, you can do things maybe faster than your opponent, but your opponent is trying to do the exact same things that you do, but just better. Uh, so I think mental and and physical, just uh, it's just really really important for sure.
3: I would always like to compare it to the physical aspect. I like to compare it more to playing an instrument than being a professional athlete in a regular sports. It's, you know, you need a lot of dexterity, you need thousands of hours of training, but it can also be physically exhausting. You know, just ask any professional musician, if they have a concert playing for four hours has a definite real physical aspect to that as well but it's not the same as running a marathon it's a different kind of physical activity
2: we have mentioned the game starcraft 2 already a couple of times and you previously compared it to chess can you give us a little bit of an introduction into starcraft 2.
3: starcraft 2 falls under the umbrella of being a real-time strategy game so chess in comparison would be a turn-based strategy game so i take a turn and the other person can think and they can take a turn. While a real-time strategy, things happen synchronously. So everything is happening as the name says in real time. So I can make moves while my opponent is also making moves. And because we can do things simultaneously, it's not just about the mental part, it's also about executing, moves as quickly as possible with my mouse and keyboard, and as precisely as possible while thinking about making correct strategic decisions as well.
1: And I think it's also very important to add that in Starcraft 2, we do not have the perfect vision of your opponent, that we cannot see the entire board like in chess or in Go. Uh, There's hidden information that you need to look for and that you want to hide from your opponent, that you need to simply discover the map.
3: Yeah, and additionally, unlike in chess, where you start with a set of, um, what's it called? pieces, (laughs) pieces, <laughs> you have a set amount of pieces that can only diminish throughout the game. Well in StarCraft, you start with very few pieces that are um, your economy. So you're building up an economy and that economy will grow and you will build an infrastructure and then you will build basically a fighting force. So you will be adding pieces throughout the game. And then as you engage your opponent, you will also start losing um, units throughout the game. So the configuration of what we have available to make moves will change throughout the game.
2: You mentioned already that speed and dexterity play an important role for the game. There's also something called APM, actions per minute, and professional players reach very high numbers of actions per minute. Can you talk about what APM is and how important it is for performing well at the game?
1: So APM stands for actions per minute, uh, which is basically a click of a keyboard or click of a mouse. And we count that per minute. And basically what you, uh, what the APM stands for is you, when you try to move your army to towards a uh, certain direction, you click with the mouse with the right click, you, or if you build a unit that does count into the APM. So any, uh, anything from moving your army to building your, uh, your infrastructure it does count into the APM and uh, professionals uh, have, when it comes to army movement or building the infrastructure, it's very, it's very hard to mimic what the pro-gamers do with the actions, but a lot of it is happening in our minds and we need to replicate what's going on in our minds with our hands.
3: And i just like to add one more metric, actually, that might be important to understand fully. We also have a metric called screens per minute, which has been proven to actually be more indicative of high skill level compared to actions per minute. Um, so when you're playing chess, uh, as an example, again, obviously you see the entire board at all times, right? Um, but StarCraft essentially has such a large board that when you're looking at your monitor, you only see a small section of the board at one time. So you also need to be moving around your camera to even if you have theoretical vision in the game of it, you still need to move your camera there to be able to gather the visual information. And we have we have a little mini map in the bottom left that represents the whole map in a simplified way, and then we have a bigger screen where we show we see the more detailed information and. So we need to multitask a lot because we can't see everything that's going on at the same time. We need to be moving around and dedicating, basically prioritize what we want to be doing where.
2: And it's not just that, there's also something called a fog of war, which leads to limited information that you also have to manage, right?
3: Yeah, essentially imagine, uh, once again on a chessboard, if you would only see up to one or two squares ahead of where your pieces are. You can only see what's going on there and the rest would be hidden until you move a piece close to that area to be able to find out what's going on there.
2: There have been a lot of advancements in the field of artificial intelligence in the past decade. Specifically, AI systems have been set up a couple of times to challenge human players in spectacular ways. Human games are a perfect area for AI research because these games are oftentimes rule-based, which makes them easy to implement and, more importantly, Rule-based games can provide an endless amount of training data. This started in 1996-97 when Kasparov was beaten by Deep Blue, but back then they used a brute force approach heavily supported by hardware. This has changed over the last 10 years. I think it was 2014 or 15 when we saw for the first time in the DARPA challenge that machine learning started to take over. The DARPA challenge asked teams of innovators to build a vehicle that can drive autonomously 150 miles course. Through the Mojave Desert within a given time frame. I think it was uh, 10 hours. The DARPA challenge was specifically designed to stimulate innovation in the field of AI and those initial applications of image processing and machine learning have been more and more refined in the years that followed. One company specifically that is very interested in using games to advance AI research is London-based DeepMind. They have already beaten old Atari games and have also developed a very successful deep learning based agent for chess. But they didn't stop there but rather advanced to even more complex games like Go and StarCraft 2. Other companies are following the same approach. OpenAI for instance has built AI systems that play team-based esports titles like Dota 2. So why do these organizations think that solving games will help them fundamentally advance AI systems? Well, first of all, games are deterministic in most cases. So that means they are based on a simple set of rules and those can be implemented quite easily. These systems also have the practical perk of eliminating limitations, otherwise imposed by the available training data. In such scenarios, AI agents can directly play against each other, similar to structures used in GANs, and therefore performance is more limited by the available computational power than it is by the available data. Because of this setup, the AI agents can also reach impressive training periods, equivalent to hundreds of years of human training. DeepMind has shifted the focus to the game of Go a few years ago, They developed a deep learning system called AlphaGo, which in 2016 challenged Lee Sedol, possibly the best human Go player in the world. Lee Sedol was beaten 4 to 1 and then retired a few months later as a consequence of it. This can show how painful it can be for humans to be confronted by a stronger performing machine system, especially in areas of cognitive performance. Dario and Craig, you both found yourselves in pretty much the same situation at the end of 2018. DeepMind had first challenged you, Dario, and then a few days later on the Ucrack to play a series of StarCraft II games against a new AI agent called AlphaStar. Dario, what was the experience like to be approached by DeepMind to play against AlphaStar?
3: So obviously one thing DeepMind needed to do was work together with Blizzard, which is the company that created StarCraft. So they first reached out to Blizzard and then via Blizzard, um, Tim Morton, uh, the lead of StarCraft uh, back then recommended me as somebody who might be a good fit. And from there, we just started talking and uh, they explained what they are trying to do and which eventually led to them inviting me over to the office in London to set up the first um, basically show match that wasn't, you know, initially published yet, but then would later turn into a video they would do.
2: Basically going to London uh, of DeepMind to play StarCraft against an artificial intelligence we about this uh, we will link that in the description below set going into that right so you you don't have much information you you're basically sent over to london uh, you're going to play some ai agent of course you knew the story about alpha go and so on but what was your mindset going in and approaching this
3: first of all i i need to add some context that in starcraft we actually have three different factions so it's not a symmetrical game like chess well there's a little bit of a symmetry of chess with chess but Black and white as well, but in Starcraft, you have three very different factions that have completely different game pieces. And they only initially were able to play one of the factions called Protoss, which meant I also had to play Protoss because of self play, the only practice, the Protos versus Protos, which is not the faction that I actually specialize in. So I, you know, but I, at the same time, I still thought there's no way they could beat even my what we call off race. And, um, I thought if they can do that, that would already be incredibly impressive, but I was a little bit nervous because I wasn't you know, playing my professional, uh, professionally trained faction. Um, still, going in there, I was quite confident that I would be able to beat it quite easily. Um, but when I started playing against it, I started losing game after game, and then I realized one of the most difficult things about playing against this AI was that I had no previous information about how it plays, what its skill level is. So it was difficult for me to approach, because we talked about earlier that Stockfish is a game of incomplete information. But when I play against other professional players, I know certain tendencies they have, so I can make reasonable assumptions about what they're going to do next based on their training, based on their previous tournaments. But I was basically going up against a black box, and I realized how difficult it is to play a strategy game against somebody that I have no information on. It's the same as StarCraft is often also compared to poker. And if you play against poker against somebody that is at a very high level, but that you've never ever seen play before, it would be very difficult to play against because it's impossible for a human usually to master every single style. So I can narrow down what they're gonna do strategically based on just the previous information i have on them so the most difficult part was not knowing what it's going to do what level it's at and if it's going to play at all similar to human or do something completely itself so i got i got crushed uh, zero five in my first encounter with deepmind but there was still a caveat that you know it wasn't the full game that was being played
2: so just to add a little bit to the context that you have been providing there's one more aspect to it namely that deep mind attempted to ensure fairness by limiting the actions per minute that AlphaStar could perform to a level similar to human performance. Is this something you worked on with them beforehand?
3: So, initially, I'm not 100% sure anymore if we had this conversation at all, but for the first match, I didn't have a long-standing working relationship with them yet. So, I think they might have set some limit, but the limit for the first match we played was still very high. So um, the first time I played against Alphastar, was able to do things humans couldn't in such a way that it basically completely would shift the way the game is played. Um, so there was still that. So it, in the first encounter, it had superhuman APM um, there. And because StarCraft is balanced around human play, it basically broke the game a little bit because yeah, there were some unintended things happening, which, you know, is, is interesting too. Of course, you that's, it's totally fine to make an AI that does superhuman things, but it's it's not like, you know, chess, it's a purely cerebral game, so it's fine. But imagine if playing against, you know, an AI, and it would just be allowed to make two moves. When you make one move, that wouldn't be an entirely fair game anymore. So there was still a little bit going on of that, but after the first match I had with them, we started having a conversation about what limitations need to be added to actually have an interesting um, competition where it's not just about being mechanically crushed, but that the AI actually has to play in an interesting strategic way too.
2: So, a little bit playing like a black box, right? You compared it to poker. Uh, I think, if I understand this correctly, you even played a different type of AI agent each game, so there was no chance for you to adapt uh, at all between the games, right?
3: Y- yes, and for that first match I didn't have that information, <laughs> I was provided that later and they got, uh, mind really after that put in more and more effort of being aware of that kind of thing, but yeah, because I played the first match and then I kind of assumed maybe I can blind counter it myself, but yeah, they, they picked off basically five different entities that I played against, so that, that was a little bit difficult.
2: So coming back a little bit to the original question, you said that when you went into that first match you were a little bit nervous, but more because you were off-racing rather than going up against an unknown opponent. And this then changed after the first or second game.
3: Yeah. Usually, if you play soccer against somebody, you always have the information, am I the underdog, am I the favorite, or we about equal. So if I play against somebody that I know is a better player than I am, I will take more risks, because I know in a standard game I'll probably lose, so I can take bigger risks to maybe get an edge. And if I play against somebody that's worse than I am, I play way more conservative. And once again, that's very similar to poker. If you're a professional player and you play against a total amateur, you're not going to do any crazy mind games because, you know, that can only backfire. So you're just going to play a very slow, normal game. And, you know, the longer the game goes, the more likely I'm just going to win based on my experience. But if I don't know who my opponent is, I can't make that value judgment of, of what are risks worth taking.
2: Dario, you mentioned that you went to that first game with a lot of confidence, but then you lost the first game and you were behind. Did that affect your approach going into the remaining games?
3: So I did try to find tendencies in what it was doing, and I think I did become better over time trying to exploit some of the tendencies, even though it was different agents, there were still some similarities, but five games were not enough time for me to completely adapt to that. And there was totally a human aspect as well that the more I started losing, the more nervous I got, which is definitely an advantage an agent has. They are not gonna care, um, because yeah, they don't have a brain, so it's not gonna start playing worse, because it's in a competitive environment, while I definitely felt the pressure of humanity <laughs>
2: on my back. So after DeepMind had played and beaten Dario at the end of 2018, they came back and wanted to challenge someone whose main race was Protoss, the same race the AlphaStar agents were playing. So one week later, Craig, you found yourself in a similar situation like Dario before. You were also traveling to London to the DeepMind offices to play a five game series against AlphaStar. Did the two of you exchange information in between? And Craig, did you prepare in a specific way for that?
1: We didn't exchange that much information. Um, uh, Dario was not allowed to as well because he was approaching the games with zero information and I was supposed to be in the same position that he was in. So yeah, we were not allowed to exchange that much information. I just deduced myself that if I'm going there, that means that they need someone that is very good at Protoss because I, I only knew that it plays Protoss versus Protoss and that's all I knew. So I, I just knew that they need someone better than Dario's off-race. So that also like uh, put some fuss in my head that is this AI actually like very competitive? Can I have some troubles versus it? At the time that TLO was defeated? I think I didn't know that uh, he lost 0-5. But you probably
3: assumed based just on the fact that you were not piloted now, right? At least that it gave me a hard time, yes. right? Because it also wouldn't make any sense to, to bring you in after.
1: Yeah, I, I, was, I was definitely taking into consideration that Dario probably lost a series uh, of five games, but I didn't know if it was 0-5, 1-4, 2-3, or if the games were close, or if it was a complete crushing.
2: In the Alphastar documentary, they show you coming in and setting up to play against the AI. You looked very confident there. Can you talk about your mindset at that moment?
1: I was very confident. For me, I also uh, am kind of a player that is very good at Protoss versus Protoss and it was going into uh, the, the, the best matchup that I am at, so I was feeling confident. I was also feeling very good overall at, a, at my game during that time, I was feeling good in practice and just I'm, I'm playing against AI, I, obviously I was feeling very uh, nervous against you know just an artificial intelligence. But just my approach into the game, I was feeling confident, I was nervous, but I, I knew I, I have a potential to defeat it. For you. The very first game that I played, I lost. But uh, the game that I played was very close and I think I should have won even to this day. I think it was a game that I definitely could win. I have absolutely underestimated the, the skill of uh, AlphaStar at that time and the strategy that it executed was like very easily defendable. But because I have underestimated the, the power of it or how good it is, I lost that game and I was like, ah, you know, this is just the first, the first game. and. Uh, I I should have won it so I I didn't get too nervous but I was a little bit upset at myself that I let uh, this opportunity slip. So then the other games went much more smoothly in favor of Alphasar I lost game number two and game number three and game number four they were quite similar in the ways that the Alphasar approached it but uh, the games were not as close as game number one was where uh, I was feeling that I definitely have a shot at winning and after the next three games that I was already 0 four I was feeling very nervous that it's not possible for me to beat and you know I, I was uh, one of the best players in the world at that time and it, it's already beating me. I was feeling that it's, it's actually good. And then game number five was very similar to game number one, where I scouted a different strategy that the Alpha star was doing. It made completely no sense from a human point of view. And I again underestimated the power of the strategy, and I very narrowly lost game number five. So I, in the end, I have lost 0 5 as well.
2: You also try to adapt your, um, your strategy going from game to game.
1: Absolutely. I, I was trying to find similarities, like in Dario's case, to find some tendencies that the agent is going to, for. But because it was five different agents, it was impossible for me to find a, a specific strategy that would defeat, because it, it had different approaches to every uh, to each game. And even though I had made some adjustments from my perspective, the agent played completely differently.
2: You're playing a ton of these Starcraft 2 games and matches, and you're usually playing against humans, of course situation when playing a game where you can feel out the opponent you can see how they react uh, you can see different styles and so on uh, when you were going against the ai did this feel similar would you say it felt like a human or did it feel completely different
1: i would say it felt somewhat similar but some of the moves that the ai did some of the approaches was completely unhuman like uh, if if i would play against this kind of thing on the on the competitive side on the ladder which is basically like uh, like a ranking on the of two if i would play against that i would consider that this is probably not a human player because it is the speed and the accuracy especially in some of the moves was uh, inhuman like
2: so you're saying the times where it didn't feel human were not so much a decision making but rather the micromanagement of the units
1: I think some of the strategies that it chose were definitely not the ones that uh, humans choose. So strategically it was different, however somewhat similar to humans. I would consider like this player would be just worse or has a different approach to the game. I wouldn't think that uh, it was an AI, but because of the moves or like the army movement and army control, that was definitely the, the, the biggest point that you could tell that this is not a human player.
3: At, at this stage, yes, um, but I guess we'll talk more later about how that developed.
0: <laughs> and that concludes part one of this fascinating conversation with eSports legends Mana and TLO. Please do join us on the next episode where we will discuss in detail the story of their rematch against Google DeepMind's Star. That was a live event that took place six weeks later in London. And if you enjoyed this show, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast app to help us uh, and enable us to further the reach of the show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode.